Breaking Western podcast. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> listeners of the Breaking Western podcast, <laughs> we welcome you back to a very special episode with a very special guest in the true theme of Breaking or uh, Season 2's influencers. We are proud to bring you another influential person within the Western industry. He is a man of many talents. <laughs> Trick roper, team roper, talk show host, rodeo announcer, brand ambassador, general personality, and one of our personal heroes. I would, yes. <laughs> now, he's tough enough to blow a bubble with beef jerky, smooth enough to pop a wheelie on a unicycle, <laughs> and if he hasn't hung up on us yet, then we're proud to present Anthony Lucia. <laughs> You would be surprised. Honestly, it's disappointing how little. So, Anthony, how the heck are you? What's oh, happening? Man, I'm doing so good. <laughs> so good. Just, uh, my mind, you'll have to excuse me. My mind is just blown about all these things I've learned in the first three minutes of this conversation. So, yeah. Well, I think the role of a good interviewer is to not only teach their listeners something, but to but also, also teach the, their guests something about themselves. So, thank you so much. <laughs> Most Start at the beginning, obviously. Um, rewind. How did this all start for you? What brought you into the rodeo world, and more importantly, what made you stay in it? Oh man, that's that's gonna take a while. Uh, Tommy Lucia was a, a, I guess you would call him a famous rodeo clown, and then he made the switch to being a contract entertainer, where he had animal acts and a lot of different things, and. And so I was basically born into rodeo. Um, I was the the fifth of five children, which makes sense because I was the fifth. Um, <laughs> fifth of five children and the youngest of them all. And <laughs> my dad, but also makes sense because I was the fifth. Um, You're doing great. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, I talk for a living, guys. Cool. My dad did everything. I mean, he was a, a phenomenal rodeo clown. He, was in, he worked the barrel with the National Finals Rodeo. He was on the executive board and the PRCA and um, was always known for being a great animal trainer. And, and uh, he had a monkey that, that rode a dog named Whiplash, the cowboy monkey. Um, he had black horses that were dancing horses um, that all had that both had sway backs. And he, he was just creative and awesome. And he was my number one influence in my life. And it was a deal where it was never forced upon us to be in rodeo or to like rodeo even because he actually always encouraged us to do other things. And one of my brothers um, actually is a doctor mm-hmm. in emergency med- emergency medicine specializing in in uh, pediatrics. Oh, very and cool. so, um, so it's one of those things where I just have always loved rodeo. I've always loved horses. I've always loved the livestock. I've always loved the lifestyle. I've always loved the work that you had to put into anything in rodeo if you wanted to be good in it. And that's, you know, my dad throughout his career, throughout our lives, whether no matter what we were doing, his motto was hard work always works. Mm. And if, if you were going to be a a son of Tommy Lucia, my dad, then you were going to not do anything half butted. You weren't going to do anything mediocre. Um, no matter what you were doing. And it didn't mean you had to be good at it, but you dang sure had to try your guts out to be good at it. 
and at least be the best that you could be in, in whatever occupation or whatever job you were doing. So that kind of resonated with me at a, at a young age because didn't really have a choice, but then as I got older, I realized that that it it became more than a not having a choice, but it became a, a way of life, and that that you that's just the way we do things, and that's the way that you kind of make up your mind at a certain point of your life where this is the way I'm going to do things, and I'm going to try to make make whatever I'm doing great, and if I fail, at least I fail well well giving it my all and if I succeed then I succeed while giving it my all and I and you just embrace that as 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 a way of life and as your your mindset and so my dad since in in his illustrious career um, he is now in basically every rodeo hall of fame you could be in he's in not only the Texas Cowboy Hall of Fame he's in the Texas Rodeo Cowboy Hall of Fame he's in the National Cowboy Hall of Fame and he's last year was inducted into the Pro Radio Cowboy Association Hall of Fame, and uh, and and so having him as a role model, even though he didn't announce, he didn't really do anything that I do. But what made him successful in his life is what's propelled me to. I'm not saying I'm successful, but I'm saying I'm I'm achieving and and chasing my goals every single day and. And, uh, so that's, yeah, that's kind of how I got into it and why I've stayed. And I just, I love the people of rodeo. I love the animals of rodeo. I love telling their stories. And, and I'm, I truly, truly love the fans of rodeo and of the fans of Western sports in general. Amazing. And that, I think your, your dad taught so many important lessons just through the way he lived. It sounds like mm. he kind of showed you the way but he didn't force you to go down yeah I a love path that. like that's so powerful yeah. so important yeah and really like he taught you lessons that could be carried over you know into any field mm-hmm. oh i mean it's it's apparent with with my my two other brothers i have i've had one brother that passed away a couple of years ago but my my oldest brother tommy joe um loved he clowned like he was a rodeo clown as well and did a lot of great things, but then he found that he loved rodeo production. Mm. So he started putting on rodeos, putting on events. He started um, all the world's toughest rodeos. He owned that company for a while. He worked for Steve Gander. Then he bought that company and put on all those events. He ran the PBR for 10 or 12 years um, and kind of took it to the level that it's at now. Like a lot of the things you've ever been to a Unleash the Beast series events, a lot of the things they do in the opening and with their production all of those are derivatives from things that my brother implanted. And then he's now he runs the the Days of 47 Rodeo, the Million Dollar Rodeo Cowboy Games in Salt Lake City, Utah. He's he's done production for IndyCar. Um, he's just and now he's got school boards, he's got a pyro company and a production company. They've done they've done stages and lighting for Reba McIntyre and Music Fest and all different kinds of stuff. And then my other brother is a doctor and, and, uh, graduated at the top of his class, you know, great family man's got five kids. Um, and so it, it's really neat kind of what my dad instilled into us, even though he was, he was and could be hard on us at times, you know, maybe a little more than he, he should have or could have, but on the same instance, when it's all said and done, he put us all on a path 
to doing whatever God wanted us to do and do it at a high level. And I'm then there's me. It's like I list off all the cool things my brother's done, and I'm like, well, <laughs> get, kind of get I'm out of here. Minuscule. So, we all do that. We, yeah. <laughs> but that's me. <laughs> but it's amazing, out. though. I mean, all of you. This yeah. like this runs. It's not just in your blood. It's like deep in your bones. That mm. rodeo and the Western world is just this legacy that's mm. been passed on to you, and you're living that out. So really, I'm like super curious what rodeo means to you and like the Western world. And when we talk about things like the cowboy way, because it's so much more than a sport. It's right. it, And it's not just a lifestyle. It's a way of life. Yeah, that's a that's a loaded question. And I know for sure we don't have time for me to explain <laughs> what rodeo means We're just to um, me, but... here hardballing right now. <laughs> no, I'll tell you what I'll do, though. I will. I'll try to to make this as concise as I can, but rodeo to me is a family. Mm. And, and and that extends beyond just the people that you normally see or the competitors or, or the personnel. And, and it extends really to our fans and, and to the animals that give us the opportunity, all of us the opportunity to be, to be where we want to be and do what we want to do in life because it takes such a community and such a, a backing, whether it's the sponsors, whether it's just a local support from a community, whether it's the, the state and government support. It takes so many people to make rodeo a success, let alone being a competitor in rodeo and trying to make that a successful lifestyle. But rodeo to me is, I, I don't know if I can pinpoint just one thing that it is because it's so many things. It's my livelihood. It's my love. It's how I met my wife. It's how I've had some of the, the greatest victories and greatest defeats in my life. It's It encompasses so many things in my life that I don't go a day, one, without thinking about rodeo, talking about rodeo, thinking about rodeo. And so rodeo to me is, is I mean, God is, I, I feel so so blessed that God has given me this this life and this family per se. It's just like y'all. I mean, we we met because of rodeo. We met yeah. because of the That's national true. finals rodeo in Las Vegas, and and you know, and, and so there's just rodeo's big to me. And even though it's small on the grand scale of things, to me, rodeo is 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 everything. To the world, you may be just another girl. Finish it. But to me, maybe you are the world. That is rodeo. One of us is a professional singer. One of us is not. I'll let y'all guess. You, you be the judge. Which one? Thank you. Thank you. Abigail. Angel. Angel. Abigail. Oof. But that's so, I think that's such a, a, that's such a powerful sentiment to think of something like rodeo and especially to people who are outside of that community who mm. look in on it and just see it as kind of, you know, another just like a hobby or another industry or mm-hmm. you know just mm-hmm. something that's out there and once you're inside of it, you know, it's it's so much more than that. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I love that. So, at what point Anthony were you like, okay, this is, you know, your dad wasn't pushing on you, but you decided yourself, this is what I love. This is what I want to do. At what point were you, like, becoming, you know, a brand ambassador, getting sponsored, or, like, starting to make it your livelihood rather than just, like, you're coming up and kind of playing in the sport? Well, I knew growing up that I loved, I'd always been 
and this is my own opinion, I've, I've always loved entertaining and I've always been a little entertainer from whether I was a little kid and the way that I could make people laugh or, you know, as I got older, I loved helping my dad. That's all I did growing up was help my dad with his accent. They would announce, you know, Tommy Lucia and Whiplash the Cowboy Monkey or Tommy Lucia, you know, Entertainer of the Year and Pro Rodeo. And, and I realized in my teenage years, I was like, I want to make my mark. Mm. Like, I love, I love being my dad's son. And I love being Tommy Lucia's boy. But when I was in 15, 16 years old, I really, really wanted to start making my mark. And I had the opportunity um, to be around a lot of really cool people growing up that had a big influence on my life. And I'd always loved roping. And I'd always loved, but I never got to rope. Because, I mean, we were gone all the time with my dad and I started some young horses and trained some colts and, and did some stuff like that. But And then I rode a few outside horses when we were home. If we were home for a couple of months, I would uh, train some outside horses for people and do stuff like that. But when I was nine years old, I saw trick roping for the first time. Or maybe it wasn't the first time, but it really, I saw it and I was like, wow, that's cool. And I'd always loved having a rope in my hand. And so... I started playing around with the rope. Well, next thing I know, I was teaching myself how to trick rope. Well, when I was 10 or 11, I got to be in some opening ceremonies for Harper and Morgan Rodeo Company. They were like the kingpins of the Southeast. They had all the Jackson, Mississippis and Lafayette's and Lake Charles and Tupelo's and Memphis and all those big rodeos there. And they incorporated, they did a basically a kid's opening where they had a little kid ride a cap and a little kid on a stick horse. They had a little girl on a pony that would run barrels. Then they had me trick rope in it as well, and I only knew a handful of tricks, but they, I would I would do that, and at the end of it, I would take my hat off, and to hear the fans cheer for something that I did was pretty special. And it wasn't like a, ooh, I'm so cool kind of a deal. It was like, these people appreciate, whether they know or not, the hard work that I put into this to be good, mm. and to actually be able to show something that I'm proud of. And then they appreciate it and they cheered for me. As a little kid, that's that was big. Mm-hmm. And that was a set the first year I did openings, I didn't know anything, but I knew how to butterfly, but I was little and cute. So they threw me in this opening and they put the spotlight on me and I chubby little Anthony would just <laughs> and and then I would, you know, I'd throw the rope down and I'd throw my hands up and smile and the fans would cheer and then, then I'm like, Okay. I, I could get used to this. So then I started working harder and learning more tricks and, and stuff to do with the rope. And I had great guys throughout my trick roping career influence me. And whether it was Jerry Diaz or Tomas Garcia Lazo or J.W. Stoker or Vince Bruce. And I was a visual learner. So I never had lessons, but I would watch these guys. I'd study their, their VHS tapes at the time. I'm dating myself. But, Relatable. And I would yeah. be like, I would I want to try that. So I would practice on hours and hours and hours. I got pretty good at trick roping when I was 18, 19 years old. I felt like I, I needed to be on my own, doing my own thing. Well, my dad needed my help to be able to continue. He was older. He needed my help to continue to do what he wanted to do with his acts. And he was still extremely busy. And, and it kind of bugged me because I'm like, I'm 20 years old. I'm a badass trick roper. Mm. And I'm over here cleaning up monkey poop mm. and selling eight by 10 colored pictures of whiplash, the cowboy monkey. And everybody goes, Oh, you're Tom's boy. Oh, you're that kid at the monkey. 
and it never, I never got to be Anthony. Mm. And, I mean, people knew me, but they didn't know, they didn't know I could trick rope because I didn't have my PRCA card, so I didn't trick rope, you know, at any of the places my dad worked. Well, in, I guess it would have been 2009, my dad's black horse died, one of his acts, and he had contracted all these rodeos that, uh, that he was supposed to have two acts at, like two, you know, different spots throughout the rodeo mm-hmm. to be an entertainer. Well, guess who got called up to the big leagues? Uh-huh. Oh, <laughs> Anthony did. Oh, uh, I, I should, so when I first started, I was a little chubby Anthony, bigger chubbier Anthony, chubby Anthony <laughs> got called up to the big leagues, big booty Judy, time to do what I do. I love that it's like, you know, it's not even about a specific event or a specific thing you're doing, but it's just a a quality overall and a type of person that you can expect when you go to this event, you're going to have this certain attitude, persona, right, 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 from um, this person carrying on a legacy, which is so, so neat. So as you're coming up and you're starting to do announcing, you're starting to do trick roping. You're starting to really come into your own as not just... Just a son, you know, but as a person. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, at what point did you start getting into, like, television, getting into sponsorships, yeah. getting into, like, bigger... The things that, if we Google your name, we find. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's dangerous if you Google my name. Oh, it's uh, really fun. A lot of stuff. We enjoyed it personally. The last seven years of my life has been a lot of different things. Not anything bad, but just a lot of different adventures and and fun stuff. So when I first started, so my dad never had, I'll just, I got to regress once again. You're going to find a common theme in my life. That's my dad. Um, I love it. But my dad never had sponsors. And so I'm thinking he's got one of the most famous little monkeys, the famous (laughs) At rodeo acts, hands down, one of the most recognized mm. people. In, I mean, not he's not a person, but one of Figures. the most recognized names in mm-hmm. rodeo. He's Whiplash, mm-hmm. the cowboy monkey. And and so I'm thinking to myself, man. And we didn't have a lot of money, but we were busy, and Dad paid his bills and whatever, whatever. And so we would. Uh, I'm like, so I'll just tell you how it started. So I wanted a. I wanted a. Uh, I wanted a. Uh, a fuzzy hat. 
remember those. Yeah, I just yeah. yeah, I just bought Angela one. Angela just bought one. She was really okay. excited about it. <laughs> so I wanted one of those, and there was no way I was going to get my dad to spend four hundred dollars to buy one, and I didn't have any money because the monkey didn't pay worth shit. So, uh, excuse me, I maybe he paid in <laughs> shit. Uh, yeah, exactly. Literal, literal shit. Uh, and that doesn't go very far in the real world. Uh, so I'm thinking to myself, how can I get this hat? So then I got to, the, I'm 17 years old, and I'm like, hang on a second. I see these other cowboys, and they've got, you know, sponsors on their shirts, and they're doing endorsement deals and stuff. And I'm like, why in the world does my dad not have sponsors? <laughs> so he go, I go, Dad, what would you think about uh, me being your agent and getting you some sponsors? And he's like, I mean, if you can, rock on. I don't care. So I call around and, and uh, get the number for, uh, at, that, at that time it was Stan Redding. He worked for Resistol. And I get the number for Stan Redding, and I'm nervous. And I finally get, you know, a call to him in the office, and and uh, I pitch him this deal and how we can do this, and we can brand him here. And, and I just figure it out as I go. And he's like, okay, what do you guys want? What do you guys want for all these things that you're going to provide? And I go, well, I'm going to be honest, Stan. I really want one of those grizzly hats. <laughs> Let me level with you, Stan. <laughs> and, uh, he laughed just like that. And he's like, okay, what else do you guys want? And I'm like, well, Stan, that's pretty much it. <laughs> he's like, well, Stan, I'm going to be honest. I had no clear your motive and if it was only that hat. <laughs> And I was like, 
man, what makes your jeans special? So he's like, well, there's more room in the, the butt and thigh area. And the reason we call them diamond cut is because instead of just one seam down your, in your undercarriage, it's actually, there's a, there's a diamond there that gives more room for your man jump. And I'm like, this gets better. And better. Teenage Anthony thought the resist all phone call was the best day of his life yeah. until he found out about Diamond Cut jeans. What? And my undercarriage going? What? So I get us a deal with Diamond Cut jeans. And I'm like, I'm really getting used to this. Like, I'm pimping out the monkey. But Anthony is slowly but surely becoming more fashionable. Just reaping the benefits. Exactly. Yes. I'm finally getting my getting my bread that this monkey's been keeping from me all these years. <laughs> anyway, so uh, so that kind of basically, and, and long story short, that's how I started into talking to sponsors. Well, my dad had actually I, I I failed to mention this. He had Justin Boots as a sponsor for he'd been with Justin for since John Justin was running the company for years and years. So we always wore Justin boots, but, um, and so I, I should have prefaced that, that Resist All wasn't our first sponsor, but we did have Justin boots or dad, the monkey did. I, I also reaped the rewards by getting a pair of Justin boots. So uh-huh. that was great. Um, but when I first started trick roping, probably when I was 19 and I actually got pretty handy at, I was doing a lot of different stuff, these different radio committees or, or when we go do different building events and they would have media days. I would, they would hire me to talk about the rodeo. They would hire me to, you know, to trick rope a little bit, teach the news, the news anchors how to trick rope, talk about what was coming at the rodeo and promote the rodeo on television. If they said, okay, we got a minute and a half, talk about what we're going to see tonight. Well, then I would go into a spiel and I'd trick rope and whatever. So I thought I had something to sell. So I called Tom Feller when I was 18 or 19 years old and I was like, you guys want to sponsor me? Um, (laughs) I'm doing all these media stuff. I'm trick roping. We're doing private events. At that time, I really had nothing to be being honest. I didn't deserve to be sponsored, but Tom Feller had known me literally since I was born and he signed me on as an endorsee. Surprisingly, kind of honestly, um, because I still would have worn their patch because I had to wear dad's shirts, you know, that he got Mm -hmm. during his act and obviously had to be the same brands or whatever. Um, but he, I asked him, I'm like, I mean, thank you for sponsoring me. And, and I, I do believe I'm going to do you a good job, but don't like when I first got the contract, I'm like, don't you think this is a little much? Cause I'm thinking three or four pairs of boots a year or a pair of boots, whatever. It was a cash deal as my first sponsor. And I'm like, and he goes, Anthony, you're going to do great things. He goes, mm-hmm. I, I can see like he's been, Tom Feller has believed in me since day one. And that was a huge, huge boost in my confidence going, huh, maybe I can be something more than just Tommy's boy or more than just what I think that I, I am. Um, and, and I don't even think people saw me that way, but that's how I saw myself. So that was that mm-hmm. was a struggle, mm-hmm. right? If I wish we could sometimes see how other people see us, especially those that care about us. But I'm glad I can't see we can't see how some people see us. But I think a lot of times I think a lot of times we put ourselves in this box of how we think and who we think we are and it's not even remote.
remotely close to actually how people see us and, and how how they you know what I mean? does that make sense oh, yeah totally. absolutely and all i can think about is how like in this industry really like any industry it's all about confidence mm-hmm. and really just selling yourself right even For when sure. you're even when you're not totally sure of yourself just like blindly entering the into that boldly Mm -hmm. yeah and like you did reaching out to people and just saying hey this is what i have to offer and putting it all out on the table dad always said there's four s's some will some won't so what someone's waiting oh shit that's good okay that's really good anyways and tom believing in me helped me really believe in myself and because at the end like you just said at the end of the day if we don't believe in ourselves who else is going to believe in us, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and so that's kind of how I got into being a brand ambassador as, as you call it. And then as I, as I, in 2010, Cinch signed me, um, in 2000, one of the greatest, greatest lessons that I ever received was when Billy Bray with classic, she gave me a small deal when I was trick roping a lot. Well, before I really got like big jobs, um, she gave me a, a really good deal. Well, then she cut me from the team. Mm. And that was a big eye-opener for me mm. because I loved being a part of the classic team because literally the best team ropers in the world, all my heroes, um, they were they were classic guys. And uh, so I loved being a part of the team, but when she cut me, it was a big wake-up call and I said, okay, Anthony, this was a, it was kind of a pivotal point in my life. Like, if you're going to do this, you, I, I had at that point kind of deterred a little bit away from what my dad had tried to instill to me of going all in, working your ass off, and being the best. But I kind of just started floating a little bit. And I was, I was, I think, 23 or 24, and, and I'd lived with my dad since I was obviously a baby. But I didn't, ever, I didn't go to college. I didn't do anything like that. So I lived with my dad until I was 23 years old. Well, then when I moved out, it was like a 23-year-old guy in a, with an 18-year-old's mindset mm. because it was the first time my dad was very strict and I had a, this is going to sound dumb, but I had a curfew up until the day I moved out. <laughs> wow. And I, and it was one of those things that was respecting. It wasn't like, mm. it was, hey, I don't want you coming in at all hours of the night because I'm going to be sleeping and I need to get sleep or right. I don't want you being out late because it's dangerous. Like my dad was very protective of us and um, he felt like it was his responsibility to keep us safe and he knew how big of a wild child he was. So he can only imagine after raising me how, what I was going to be like. Well, I was actually a pretty good kid. But then when I, when I was 23 and I moved out, I was like, oh, neato. Look at all these things I've never experienced before. Well, what's this, this, is this beer? <laughs> so I I started floating around and I started not making some good choices and being a bit of a vagrant and and uh, kind of a degenerate. When Classic cut me, it kind of was a big wake-up call mm. because I'd lost a sponsor. And I'd never lost a sponsor. I thought I was the freaking golden child and I'd been getting sponsors since I was 17 years old and you know, blah, blah, blah. I was kind of a badass why I wasn't. I wasn't anything. And then it, I had been crap. Literally, on the on the grand scheme of things, I had been crap. And when Billy called and cut me, it, it was a huge wake-up call. And so, uh, actually, I got sponsored.
went through the progression and I started working hard at everything at trick roping, at team roping. And then after the second time after I placed at the George Strait, or the first time rather, after I placed at the George Strait team roping, uh, Billy Bray called me again and she's like, You want to be back on the classic team? Mm. And I'm like, And at that time, I'd worked my way up with the Cactus and Fastback companies. And, uh, and I was like, Well, you, uh, you cutting me kind of might, might be working against you now because now I'm actually worth something. Mm-hmm. and she she goes I get it and that's what we wanted and we want you back on the team and we're willing to pay for it and I was like awesome so that's how that's how that happened and then I started uh, I trick up the NFR four years in a row and then when I realized and my dad had a lot to do with this when I realized that trick roping wasn't going to be my my end game um I had always announced a little bit. I'd hosted a few things. And like I said, I did the TV stuff for the different rodeos. So I'd learned to talk on television and when the lights come on to be able to be precise and, and hit my marks and be able to put what I want to say into a certain time limit. And all that stuff started working together. And, and uh, in, 20, in 2014, I made the decision to go fully into announcing and so I stopped taking jobs trick roping and I did still get a few private events here and there but stopped taking jobs trick roping because I wanted to be announcer as my main as my main jam and announcing kind of opened some doors to some other things and then I uh, I went on America's Got Talent 2010 trick roping and that kind of started the fire of that I really liked television because it was it was just so neat to be a part of those productions and and to see the lights and just how Nick Cannon was the host and I just thought he had the coolest job ever um, and getting to be in that and I made it to the the Vegas round or whatever it was that I got axed but whatever um, <laughs> I don't even care <laughs> it, honestly it was an experience it was so awesome um, that kind of started fueling the the television bug and then. I guess in 2012 or 13, I got a call from a casting director for this brand new show they were going to do called Rodeo Girls. And uh, they needed some man meat. uh, (laughs) And them diamond cut jeans. (laughs) Well, I was cinch at that time. Oh my God. Nope. Nope. (laughs) And so I I was actually in Hawaii. Um, Some friends of mine owned some property over there and we went over and were roping and I did a, a Skype call with them. And the next week I was flying to Scottsdale, Arizona and they were picking me up in a limo at the airport. And I had no idea what I was getting into. All I knew is that I told them what I would generally make at a rodeo trick roping or announcing. And I said, I'm not coming unless y'all pay me. And they said, okay, come on. And so I got that whole deal actually made me quite a bit of money. Um, I was the highest paid quote unquote actor or character <laughs> on that show. Anyways, they brought me in to do, uh, I was supposed to be the, again, man meat, uh, <laughs> for, for all the girls. And I was supposed to like, not literally make my way around them, but for the show, like, you know, be the flirt, be kind of a, a douchebag in a sense. And I think I nailed it. But, uh, so. I did that. We filmed six episodes. I met 
Jessica on that. We dated for a year and a half after the show was over. Oh, wow. And, uh, well, we dated during the show because I, we met, I met her at Scottsdale, which was the pilot. And whenever, and then we started talking and we started dating after that. And then when the producers found out, they were like, um, how's this going to work, Anthony? You're supposed to be the, mm. the guy, you know, You're all this stuff. You're supposed to keep going. Interesting. You guys want me, you better change your storyline. And uh, so they did. And yeah, so we went through the, the whole show and and uh, made some good money, had some grand adventures, was a part of a really, um, it was it was a dumb show, right? I mean, it, it didn't, it wasn't anything accurate. It wasn't a docu-series. <laughs> it wasn't a docu-drama. It was a reality show. It was entertaining. The, yeah, I mean, and the one thing I've learned about reality shows, there's nothing real to them. Yeah, if, yeah. If there is, it's very little. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we they we had scripts without having scripts. They've never handed us scripts, but they they told us what we wanted. They wanted us to do, and then basically, here's the outline. Now fill it in with your words, mm. and here's the drama that we want. Now fill it in with your words. Here's this scene that we want. Now fill it in with your words. And it was a blast. I mean, honestly, like we had, gosh, we had fun, and and it was on A and E, which was a big network, and. You know, I, I still catch a lot of crap for being on that show, but what I didn't realize is that that got me a pretty big social media presence. Mm. It uh, it showed me, I know I don't have as many interactions as I should according to the number of followers I have, Abby. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was going to say, we did talk about this. You're <laughs> engaged. <engagement. laughs> Nobody, nobody look at my <laughs> social media page. I hope you understand the irony of that coming from me. <laughs> uh, well, either way, it, it was, it, it exposed me to a lot of people and, and I met a lot of really cool people through it and we had a, a ton of fun and then that kind of, I realized that I didn't like reality shows, but I still wanted to do some stuff on TV. Mm. And in 2009... I guess the same year that I started trick roping professionally, I started doing my talk show in Las Vegas. It was, I mean, it was bad, honestly. <laughs> it was bad. Um, I'm not saying it's great now, but it was really bad then. Um, it was, I just didn't know, I didn't know anything I was doing and, and uh, it was a learning process. And then, but as you, as you do something, and again, it goes back to what my dad taught us, figure it out and, and do it and try to do it right. And I learned a lot of valuable, very valuable lessons throughout that, uh, everything with my talk show. And, and, uh, and then I finally, my, my dream when I started the talk show was to get it on TV one day. Well, then in 2015, Rad TV, um, we went 15, 16, 17, 18, we went four seasons, um, on Rad TV. So that was big for me. And then last year we were on Rad Pass, which is the PBR's digital platform and, we had a, a ton of interactions and, and views and, and it was, it was a big success. And, uh, throughout this whole time I've announced rodeos. I did, I did the all American fraternity at, at ride TV. I did a ton of TV stuff for them, whether it was the, uh, the cinch time event championship, the, like I said, this, all the stuff from Rito. So for, I did horse racing for three years did the NBHA world finals, two years, a ton of stuff. And, that kind of led me into the Western sports broadcasting aspect of it. Um, still love announcing radios and that's my, that's my true passion. I mean, I, TV is great because it, it, it pays really good and I, and I enjoy it, 
but I don't, if you said, Anthony, pick one, it's rodeo announcing, mm-hmm. professional rodeo. It all comes back to rodeo and the family, and and that's, yeah, and that's where I am today, in the end. And I, I, love, I love that, because, I mean, think, think about this story arc that you've just given to us that starts with a cowboy monkey um has a plot point with a reality tv show and and then brings us a plot point yeah you know uh, bear with me bear with me a plot point not flat not flat it was a peak plot plot point Your information. I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't think that would strike such a chord. Well, I mean, I just, you know, I'm just kidding. Like, you know. <laughs> but it has, you know, you have a reality TV show in there, and then it brings us to this moment that you're in, where you're rodeo announcing and doing a whole host of other things. I think really speaks to the power of saying yes mm. to all of the opportunities that present themselves to you. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. All that. <laughs> Sorry, I was reading a text. What did you say? Uh, <laughs> if it was so, Lisa, tell her we say feel, hi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. It was for another podcast. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> Sorry. So, looking back on everything that you've done up until this point, obviously it's grown, it's evolved, it's changed a little bit. You've added some characters. We have uh, Lisa in the mix now. Where do you see oh, it yeah. going from oh, here? Yeah. And we forgot. I my wife. Yeah, you are half of Boot Barn's power, power couple. couple. What they called you a <laughs> modern day Johnny and June. I don't know if you've seen my wife in that. I'm a I'm a mere prop. Yeah, she's a babe. She's yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But you know, half they gave you half. Just I mean, the they same. they called we you Johnny and June. So <laughs> I mean, I was technically the face of their story. Sure. And then they. But they were just using me to get to my wife because she's basically a supermodel. She is. That's and, the only uh, reason we're talking to you. Clearly right not very smart because she's married to me, but <laughs> she's really pretty. <laughs> and that counts for something. Doctor. She's like the smartest person I know. It's sickening. It's sickening. It's sickening. Just, bad, just bad choices when it comes to relationship, you know. Well, that'll happen. But where do you see it all going from here? Now that you, you've got the girl, you've got the career, you're building, you're doing, you're going, where do you see it going next? Uh, I'm going to be honest. I have very lofty goals. That's one thing I've always I've always done. When I team rope, I want to make the NFR. Do I go enough to make the NFR? No. But when I, every time I'm back in the box, I think about, you know, I either want to, I want to win every rodeo I go to. I want to win every jackpot I go to. I want to make the NFR. I want to, you know, whatever. My original goal was to, I want to be the first guy to ever trick open the NFR, like be an official specialty act of the NFR entertainer, compete there in the team roping, and then announce it. Um, wow. I don't, that's, that's again, lofty goals. That'd be cool. But yeah. That would be cool. But I don't. I don't, I can't commit enough fully to team roping to, in order to, you have to, I mean, you guys know, if you're going to do something, you've got to go 150% all in, period. Mm-hmm. There's no, hey, I can't go to this rodeo because I'm hired at this event to go announce. I, you know, I can't, I can't hit up this, this string of rodeos over the 4th of July because I'm going to be announcing a 4th of July rodeo. Mm-hmm. And, that that's that you can't do that if you, if you want to be top of the game in the team roping, uh, you know I still enter and I still have dreams of well 
maybe if I get in the top four, I can go to Houston, go to San Antonio, win 70000 between those two, and basically have the NFR made and go when I can. Like, I still think that's, that's still a goal, right? Mm-hmm. And whether that's unrealistic or realistic, whatever, call it what you want, that's still a goal that I have. Um, Announcing-wise, I want to announce the NFR. Heck yeah. I want to I be the guy. Um, TV-wise... Again, it's kind of one of those things. I've one thing I've learned the last two or three years when I've been really heavily involved in television because of those commitments, it's hurt my rodeo announcing. Mm. Because when people see you all the time uh, doing television, well, they think that's what you do. You're a TV guy. Mm. No, I'm a rodeo announcer that's doing TV. Um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to do, I guess, five CBS major network broadcasts up to this point. In the last year and a half, which is huge, like like the neatest thing ever to be able to hold a microphone that, you know, Jim Nance and Tony Romo and so many greats before me in other sports are getting to be on CBS Sports and be on CBS Network. And like that's, it's kind of surreal to even think about it. And I'm getting to bring rodeo to it. Mm. Uh, like this year, I had the privilege of bringing the very first Western sport back to CBS, which was the PBR Unleash the Beast event. Um, in, uh, it was a lazy arena with no fans. It was the first fanless event that any Western sport did. And I hosted it on television wow. and it was, it was awesome. It was very surreal and different, but if there's one thing that I've learned is that you've got to commit. It's great to have be versatile. It's great to have a bunch of different irons in the fire, but at the end of the day, People have to see your commitment to this one thing in order to truly, especially in our business, I feel like, take you serious and go, okay, this is what this guy is doing. Um, And so my focus through this coronavirus and all this, the pandemic and the quarantining and all that BS, um, my focus has really changed to what do I love day in and day out? If you said, Anthony, the next 52 weekends, you can either do TV or you can announce rodeos. What are you going to do? Mm. Well, I'd make more money doing TV, but I love announcing rodeos. I love being able to give those fans who've spent their hard-earned money that two hours of telling them about a sport and the people and the animals that I love to entertain them and give them two and a half hours or two hours of just forgetting about whatever junk is going on in their lives, whether, even before all this COVID junk. Whatever junk is going on in your life, forget about it. For the next two year, two hours, let me take you on a journey about America's original sport. One of the most unique, hard, difficult, sacrificial, brutal, violent sports that you will ever watch. But you're gonna love it. And that's that's where I see myself. I'm gonna I've always said I'm gonna do what God wants me to do. And God has given me a heart for rodeo and a and a I think a, a little bit of ability that I've had to work my butt off to refine and hone and, and try. And I still have a an immense amount of work to do to be where I want to be and be as good as I want to be. And I, I don't think I'm ever going to stop learning. But I guess in essence, to do everything that I'm going to do now and in the future to the fullest of my abilities, work my butt off every day to be the best. And at the end of my life, if, if I'm not the best, I gave my all trying to be. 
Dang. You know what? I'm going to say this confidently, and I think everyone listening will agree, is I can't wait to to listen to you announce the The NFR. NFR. We're going to be there. We'll be sitting right there, (laughs) not to troll you this time, but to support you because you deserve it. It's like a fun thing. All of it. Yeah, that was amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to sit with little old us. Little old us. Hey, you guys aren't little oral. (laughs) That's true. Thank you. You We're we're big and young. (laughs) Nope. Thank you. Oh, what a sweetie. You were doing so good, Anthony. can find you on the interwebs uh super lucia 33 yes that's right you heard you heard it here first at super lucia sorry super super ducia super ducia super ducia okay sorry that was super lucia 33 anyways back to when i first met you i thought you were b wait that's for angela not me right Sure, sure. Yes, sure. that's for Angel. Not you. Okay. You've always been nice. Oh, oh excellent. Oh. I thought you were going to say you've always met a bee. <laughs> no, you've always been nice. You are Angel's saving grace. Yeah. Yes, I for am. Sure. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> and you're also really humble. And I love that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you're probably the most humble person you've ever met. So. Other than you. Yes. Other than you, of course. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And the minute I stop 
I'm confident in what I can do, but more importantly, I'm confident in the work that I put into things that I do, and that's what gives me the confidence. It's not the fact that I'm going to be, you know, always perfect and never make mistakes because I make, gosh, just ask my wife, I make a lot. <laughs> but the work that I put into not making those mistakes again and and being prepared for whatever job that I'm doing, that's where I drive my confidence. It's not a it's not an arrogance or a, hey, look at me. It's like, I'm just going to try to outwork everybody. And that's um, so key, that that always, always being a learner and, like, yeah. reminding yeah. yourself oh, that, that, you know, you don't always know everything, know everything and there's always space to learn and to grow makes all the difference. Yeah, yeah, and and that's, that's where we're at in my life. And so... Um, Gosh, what in the heck were we even talking about? You know, we were trying to say bye, but you keep us on the phone, and it's just oh, awkward at this point. <laughs> anyway, so, <laughs> Angela had a beautiful voice, but she was me. <laughs> <laughs> she was just great all the time. She's one you, uh, can, you can keep her. <laughs> she can be your wardrobe designer forever anthony i take that as highest praise because i feel like the first time we actually met was when i was like drinking a lot of whiskey and was wearing the the snakeskin jumpsuit so yes (laughs) and i say snakeskin jumpsuit out loud and it makes it sound like maybe a cute girl kind of thing um this is i mean it was i mean mm, it was what it was it was a lot it was a lot i'm gonna tell you what a lot is how it was awesome it was awesome both of y'all's outfits, you guys, all of the little fashionistas around there wearing their whatever they were wearing, like, you guys did it, and <laughs> it was, it was awesome. It was, it was, I still remember those outfits and the sunglasses that went with them. Well, we and, can't yeah. wait to do it again, and we will this yeah. year, so yes, we'll yes. see you down there. New sunglasses. Oh, yeah, interwebs, super Lucia, with an L, thank you. You're welcome. 33. Uh, Facebook, Anthony Lucia, you can try to friend request me, or you can go follow my quote-unquote fan page. Um, it's basically the exact same thing as my Instagram, because I have them connected, so I don't have to do one more page. And then uh, the next event I'm going to is actually going to be the Gold Buckle Knockout in Stoneham, Colorado. It's the last day of this month. It's the last day of the 2020 Pro Rodeo season. Excellent. And it's going to be the last opportunity for the top 20 bareback riders and the top 20 saddle bronc riders to earn money in Pro Rodeo and possibly punch their ticket to the National Finals Rodeo and or lengthen and help their chances of winning a gold buckle. Oh, yeah. um, it's produced by, at the Survey Ranch in Stoneham, and it's going to be absolutely spectacular. It's all you. Okay, if you remember nothing else from this podcast, we made you laugh, possibly made you cry, Possibly you turned us off, but hopefully you're back for the ending. But remember this. Be thankful for the ones beside you. Be thankful for the God above you. And be thankful for the life before you. There it is. Cheers, Cheers everyone. Cheers to that.